This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 8, Episode 22. Happy New Year to everybody. I'm John DiCarlo, joined again by Full House of Kyle Gauss. Javon Edmonds and Caden Steele. What's up, guys? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. Doing well. Feeling better. I was sick for the last like two weeks. I'm feeling better. I had no idea you were feeling sick. Because I'm a grown man, John. I don't I don't post blog posts every time I get the sniffles. Kyle <laughs> <laughs> made me admit last night that I'm a miserable human being. Uh, you, uh, we, we, we're, I think we're gonna get into that. I didn't say you were a miserable human being. <laughs> <laughs> I'm said, saying it myself. You guys are miserable, is what I said. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I admitted it on I'll be back this week, too, or something like that. So, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to put that in my bio from now on. Miserable, miserable human being. I just like, you're too young to be this miserable, man. Like, it's just like you got your whole life ahead of you to be miserable. These are the non-miserable years. Ran into Sean McGady at, at ye old hail, uh, ale house, not hail house, uh, ale house in Lafayette Hill. And he was like, yeah, I think I'm going to have Javon on my podcast this week. We talked to him for about 20 or 25 minutes or so about Temple Sports. And then he was like, I, I, I need to get back over to my girlfriend. Where it's like, hey, you can bring her over. He's like, nah, nah, she'll be okay. I was like, Jesus, shut up. Real. <laughs> I will leave my thoughts and concerns about that to myself. Game <laughs> 22s. I was just going to ask Caden how he's doing. but like, I was going to say Caden hit me with the famous 22s. I know what he's going to say. First one right out of the shoot. Famous 22s. Mm. That's tough. It's tough. Damn, it's you always come up with, you always come up with ex-Eagles and you don't know 22? Yeah. I'm trying to, who his, oh, his, name, his name is in the answer. Yes. There you go. Um, Like a top, if you consider him a small forward, like a top five small forward. Elgin Baylor, easy. Yeah, easy. Um, not, not who I was thinking. Really? He's probably more of a two. Oh, Clyde. Clyde Drexler. Clyde, Clyde Drexler. Clyde yeah. the Glide. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Doug Flutie once upon a time. Doug Flutie, we're 22. At Boston College. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I good. feel like I'm missing a corner. Um, uh, Did Namdi ever wear a 22? No. Oh, uh, Jimmy Smith. We don't, with the we don't talk about Namdi. No, we don't talk about Namdi. We don't talk about Namdi anymore. Hey, look, Namdi has become a great director and actor since he's retired. <laughs> isn't, his, isn't he married to Kerry Wilson? Or um, Kerry Hilson, Kerry Washington, Kerry Hilson. Who's Washington? married to? Who knows? Uh, I'll let the two of you. I think he might be out. married to Kerry. Yeah, Kerry Washington is married to. Okay. So his life turned out fine, despite hey. eating lunch in his car every day while playing with the Eagles. <laughs> um, Larry, the Larry Nances. Larry Nances. Yes. Yeah. Ricky, Larry. right? Henderson. Yeah. 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 Did he wear? Didn't he? Didn't Ricky also wear number twenty four in his career too? He played for forty five teams, so I'm sure he changed his number a few times. Ricky's story, well, Harold uh, Harold Reynolds' story of Ricky Henderson, the one year that he didn't win the stolen base uh, title, is hilarious. I did not know Ricky Henderson refers to himself in third as first. Ricky Henderson. Yeah, <laughs> Ricky Henderson wore 39, 35, 24, 22, 14, back to twenty four, thirty five, twenty four, thirty five, twenty five. I think it's seven different numbers in his MLP career. 
Well, apparently Moses Malone wore 22 and one of his 15 million stops also. If you're, looking at, if you're looking at the same website I'm looking at, it says Mike Schmidt wore 22 when? As like a minor leaguer? Um, let's see. Mike Schmidt? He wore, I mean, he, he's no... Mike Schmidt, when he came up in 72, wore 22. Yeah, all right. Clayton Kershaw, Jim Palmer, you know, if we want to name some 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 baseball guys. Jim Palmer. Mm-hmm. Gotta love Jim Palmer. Dude. Why Mike Schmidt wore a 22? A guy named Roger Freed was wearing number 20. Huh. Didn't know that. He had two two 225 that year. Roger Freed. Roger Roger Clemens. Yeah. For what? The uh what was the the, uh, independent league? What was the independent league team that he used to still play with? Sweet sugar something? It was like there was a stretch um, where a bunch of the Clemenses were still playing independent league ball, and he was like 49. He's like, I'll go play with Colby and all that. I didn't know. Yeah, the Sugarland Skeeters. Great name, Skeeters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. Dave Durson. That's who I was thinking of. Dave oh, Durson. Okay. Marcus Sepps. Oh, God. <laughs> Robinson Cano and, and Jorge Posada. Mm-hmm. Two guys I can't stand. I never disliked Posada. I don't think I disliked Cano until the, you know, cheating. Oh, Dave DeBusher. I almost forgot a basketball legend. Yeah. I also just, like, don't care about, like, the Yankees because, like, I'm a National League guy, so they, they don't impact me as much. But I'm sure if they were in my division, I would I would hate them. But now divisions don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's hey, see. Wando Blackman. Asante Samuel. Asante Samuel. There you go. Asante Samuel is probably who you were thinking of. Yeah. Loved Asante. And now his son's on the Chargers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good, too. Derrick Henry before he switched to two. Yeah. Here we go. Now we're cooking with gas. (laughs) We're cooking with fish grease. Cooking with fish grease. Now we transition over to, uh, well, we got some a a lot of Temple Hoops to discuss. Got some Temple football news to break to you as well. Some mailbag questions. Let's dive first into uh, this up and down Temple basketball team. Uh, the last time, last time we recorded, you know, took a break for the holiday. They were not playing well. They, of course, had three ugly losses to Penn, Ole Miss, and Maryland Eastern Shore, which was the really ugly one. And since then, they've rattled off three wins. They're three and zero on conference play, uh, including last night's win. Down at USF, they've got Tulane coming up, a similarly up-and-down team that scores the ball really well but doesn't do much defensively. Simple question, but uh, what do we make of this group? I mean, none of these games – well, we should say the Cincinnati game, they look fairly impressive. They got it done in ugly fashion last night with a good defensive stop near the end of the game, kind of eked one out at ECU. Damian Dunn had the head injury against Maryland Eastern Shore, missed a game. They're easing him back into the lineup. What do we make of this team right now? I can't keep saying what I make of them. I can just keep looking forward to the next game, I guess. Uh, and like you said, the next game is Tulane, which is those are the two teams we expected to compete for as high as the third spot, as mm-hmm. low as the fourth or fifth spot in the conference heading into this season. Um, Has that changed? Just, maybe because Houston, so. Memphis, Cincinnati – UCF is better than I thought. Oh, I think Cincinnati is garbage, to be quite frank. Like, I think, like, Cincinnati is going to finish, like, seventh. Like, that's – I don't think they're in the contention with Temple and, and Tulane. I, I also don't see think – I can 
can see them falling off, but I was somewhat impressed by their non-conference schedule. Really? It's somewhat. What I've noticed this year is that, like, if you're a team in the American, other than Temple, apparently, actually, Temple could probably be lumped into this, too. Not that many of them played actual non-conference schedules. Mm-hmm. But East Carolina just starts off like 11-2 and two every year because they just don't play anybody, and then they fall off. USF had, like, the 270th strength of schedule coming into last night's game. None of these guys were really playing anybody. Didn't Cincinnati get, like, clobbered by some, yeah, Northern Kentucky? The guy right across the river beat the crap out of him? I want to say, I, I want to say, I look uh, eight point loss to Arizona. I'm not like too mad at. You lose by 28 to Ohio State. That's a little concerning. Like I feel like the quality of their losses is what I was like. Hmm, they're not too bad this year. You know, like only lost by three to Xavier. Sure. But then again, but they lost to Northern Kentucky. Yeah, and the rest of their wins aren't really too. Yeah, impressive. Louisville has like one win. Yeah, Louisville's bad. What they've yeah. become is like a travesty to college basketball. Rick Pitino might be available. Bring him back. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. But yeah, the answer to what do we make of this Temple team is I'm forced to, I, this is why I called uh, Javon miserable last night, is following a win, Javon and John are immediately like critiquing a player. Oh, this guy stunk on this or whatever. He didn't perform well on that. And I said, I understand why, like, when you take a step back and you're viewing it from that perspective, I understand that. But I just don't know how many more times we can talk about, like, yes, they lost to Maryland Eastern Shore, and yes, they lost to Penn, and yes, they lost to Richmond. You can only really still focus on the things more recently and the things ahead of you. And the fact is that they're 3-0 in conference, Mm -hmm. and they're winning kind of gritty games, which they weren't winning earlier on because they were kind of a mentally soft team at times. Like, the fact they lost to Richmond had nothing to do with basketball. It had more to do with that they were in their feelings because they lost to St. John's. Yep. Right? So the fact that they're able to kind of grind through an ugly, ugly game where you only have six assists against South Florida is an encouraging thing. It kind of resembles what they looked like last year where they were just like, it's not pretty, but they're playing pretty good defense and they're winning games. And yeah, Nick Jordan has found his role again as just a small ball five. Yeah. And I'll give, I want to go ahead, John, go ahead. No, I was just going to say real quick. I mean, I'll give Damian Dunn his due credit. I mean, if you look at the, the, the numbers in the box score in a vacuum, yeah. Five of 10, nine of 10 from the line, they go 23 of 26 where they, they really won the game there. But you know, he he does, you know, his, you know, Damien Dunn has been very up and down. And in the previous possession and in that inside that last minute, whatever that was in that shot and that possession, and of course, it's coming after a timeout. So fans lose their crap over that. He rebounds from a really bad offensive possession, other end of the floor. Um, he and Fabe, he and uh, Isir Miller um, team up for a couple of blocks at the end, other end of the floor that, that win the game for him. So. I agree with Kyle. I mean, like they've still got a lot of problems. They very much need Jamil Reynolds back in a hurry, although that's not going to happen for another four or five weeks or so. Maybe he's out of his cast, as Javon had told us last week. But um, uh, hey, I mean, they're they're 3-0 and and they're winning gritty games. The Cincinnati win was impressive, no matter what we think of Cincinnati. But um, mm. last, I mean, well, I mean, last, last night could have gone in the other direction where Dame doesn't even get the rim on that shot and they could have come down and given up a bucket. And instead they played really good defense. And I mean, it sounds so simple to say, but it gives the staff more ammunition to say, if you do this, if you do this, you do that, we can start winning some games down the stretch. And, you know, again, 
They've got some bad losses, but 3-0 out of the gate, regardless of who they played, isn't too bad. Look, South Florida was averaging 90 points a game their previous two games. They just dropped 86 on Memphis, and they held them to 64 points. Yeah. So, like, I think this team has an identity. I don't know why it took them 16 games to get to that identity, but I think they have an identity. What were you going to say? Yeah, quickly before we get Caden in here. The reason I grimaced at the whole Cincinnati being a good win thing, I have a role in sports where it's like if a team has a team's number, I can't credit them for a good win. You know what I'm saying? Like, I expect you to do that at that point. And I think Temple has West Miller and Cincinnati's okay. number. Then by that logic, the East Carolina was a good win. Because East Carolina has Temple's number in recent years. And Temple beat them. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be a good win for Temple. Yeah, by my not. I'm very consistent, Kyle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the second thing I, I was going to go with was I remember last year on this very podcast, I told someone that's wearing a 76er hat right now. I say a lot of things. So. <laughs> that, that Damian Dunn as a sixth man would be a good idea. I did not know that Damian Dunn and Caleb Battle coming off the bench would produce. Is it I don't know if, a good I, idea? Though. So here's where I'm going with this, Kyle. Stick with me. I don't know if it's a great idea, but it's working to a degree. It, where the, the three guys they're going to depend on more next year with Hasir, Zach, and Jalil, they move the ball more. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like the offense is more fluid with Damon, sure. Damon KB on the bench. And I think if you're I'm Temple... Saying, I'm saying, unless somebody else is on the court with them, then it's not as fluid. I think it's... Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I feel I just, like if you're Temple, you deal with that, especially if you're McKee, where it's like, this season, you've got to find some things to spice it up. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. If Well, and again, he could break out of this this weekend but i would feel i agree you got to bring kb off the bench because he has just lord knows what's going on with him he's up and down he's still very good at the game of basketball and they still need him offensively but he's been up and down emotionally whatever i it's intriguing i'd feel better about it if zach kicks was playing a little bit better like if they had last night if you're playing a better team and you not that basketball isn't a game of runs, but if you're playing a better team last night and you turn the ball over four times in your first four possessions and you're not getting anything, and you're playing like let's say you're playing a Memphis, you're playing a Houston, and they're like they're up on you 14 nothing out of the gate, you may not recover from that. And it wasn't too long before Aaron brought both of them off the bench, but it is intriguing. I agree. Like he's probably thinking, like, I need to build confidence, I need to build some cohesiveness with with Zach, with Fabe, with Nick, with Jaleel. I just feel a tad better about bringing both off the bench if if Zach Hicks could get out of things. Now, to Zach's credit, gives you seven boards last night, and he still sticks with things. He just needs to find some sort of rhythm offensively. Yeah, yeah. Going off, you know, kind of Javon's point and John's point. I think you know during this three game stretch where they're three and zero in conference, that Cincinnati game I think was somewhat impressive because Javon, you mentioned the next three guys that have to step up. You know, once Caleb Battle leaves, once Damian Dunn, you know, and and you know, once they leave the program, you're going to need Zach Hicks, Julio White, and Heisman Miller to be those guys. And I thought, you know, in the Cincinnati game, at least, Julio White had 16 rebounds, which was mm-hmm. a career high, and I thought he played really well. Zach Hicks got hot in that first half, kind of didn't play the same level in the second, but that stretch where he hit those threes really kind of gave Temple that momentum. And then Heisman Miller, I think, has been steady over the last, you know, two or three games as well. So I think if that young group continues to prove, Temple could, you know, keep scratching out through these wins. But Zach Hicks, for me, kind of like John, where I haven't seen that consistency or him take that next level jump that I thought he would, you know, as a sophomore. So I guess that's been disappointing in the sense. And then last night, 
they really struggled inside against Russell. Um, I don't want to say his last name wrong because Russell Chiwa. Chiwa, yeah, I was not listening to ESPN Plus's broadcast because I'm not going to say <laughs> awful about it. But yeah, he really gave Temple some fits inside with 20 points, 12 rebounds. They just don't have the guy inside with Jamil out that can match up with a guy who's seven foot. And Kurjan Kuch didn't really offer anything. I mean, Akpomo just, I mean had four fouls, really struggled at times. Like, I just think they're missing that inside presence. And just overall, they don't have enough consistency from night in and night out from any singular players. Yeah, but I think, I think that last point, I, why, like, just why try? Like, why try to play that game then? Like, last year, like, they got on a run towards the end when they started relying on Nick Jordan's small ball uh, big. Jaleel White kind of played the bigs at certain spot. Like, it, if you're not going to be able to compete with these guys until Jamil Randall gets gets back, then just don't try. Like try play basketball differently. Like the fact that it took them 16 games to kind of figure out this, hey, we got to go back to being gritty and being undersized and hoping that I understand why they didn't because you thought going into it, you're like, okay, KB is coming back, Dunn's a year better. Like we can just like play more traditional basketball and like be when those guys will buoy us up. Might just have to be gritty. It's not a coincidence that they got good last year when Jaleel White slid into the starting lineup. Like, yeah, I mean, I- uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think bringing him off the bench is a mistake. I mean, when he's an engaged player, he's a better player just in terms of what he gives them. I mean, he's still, I don't know if he'll ever become the guy that can knock down an outside shot with a little bit more consistency, but when he's giving you 16 rebounds, he's engaged defensively. It sounds cliche, but you can see when he gets a couple of good possessions under his belt defensively, he feels more confident offensively. Like a couple of those runners he hit, or at least he had that one runner against Cincinnati. Like you haven't always seen him doing that. I think he's been one of the biggest differences. I know it's a very, very small sample size, but what else has been the difference? Again, they were playing so poorly. I mean, the, the, the pen, the pen loss was bad. They looked bad at old Miss. The, the, the Maryland Eastern shore loss was inexcusable, embarrassing, really bad. What, what else do you guys see that's changed in these last three games? Who else joined the starting lineup? Nick Jordan. Like yeah. Nick Jordan starts less. Like I, I'm probably the most critical person of Nick Jordan, and the fact of the matter is, his energy the last three games has been mm-hmm. incredibly impressive. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the box score only had him with one block last night. Yeah. Legitimately, like I tweeted, like I do not know. I think he had three on one possession at one point. Mm-hmm. Like he is just being like they they feed off his energy on the defensive end when he's really plugged in. Mm-hmm. So him being part of it is, I, I'd be hard pressed to see him going back to the bench anytime soon. He also had yeah, like a little I, nice up and under move last night too, yeah. offensively. Too. Yeah, I, I'm just. You know he's I, not doing. He's that. not attempting threes anymore. Yeah. Well, he he took one against. <laughs> he took one. He took one. <laughs> That's fine. You can get one a game. Yeah, and, and Kaden will tell you. I I was up there on press row, like no, oh, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I, I will say, and I know the staff has to feel this way. Temple is lucky they don't have to go against much size for the rest of the season. Because, uh, listen, you only get 22 minutes out of core and, and Ema. And the, the the topic of the group chat last night, for those who were wondering, it, it was Corey. For those who were wondering about I, our I, I, I hate to, like, just keep bagging on the guy. I'm Nice guy, all that good jazz, terrific story. I'm doing all my John DiCarlo stuff right here. <laughs> and Caden and, and needs him to be somewhat decent. So do we, need, do we need to do we need to name the name? But but it's it's just like he can't play basketball, man. It, it it's frustrating watching him play. He can't like at some point, 
and it's, it's to the point where his guards don't even look to pass him the ball. Translation in basketball language, I don't want this guy on the court. He can't catch. He got no – like, I never thought I'd see in person the the personification of Stephen A's Kwame Brown. Granted, yes, Kwame was the number one pick. Probably wasn't Javon as bad as people proceeded, You proceeded to name all these NBA players and comparing them to core and Kyle. Like, we take this it, guy. It we take horrific, that guy. Horrific hoops. I would take, yeah, Kwame Brown would average no, 25 no, no, and 12 right. in the AAC. <laughs> like, Kwame Brown would be a dominant big man in the American. You, you know what I'm saying, Kyle. Yeah. It's just, core, would be, core is going to be my answer in a, in, a, in a mailbag question coming up. I mean, yeah, he's been. He's been disappointing. I would say, and again, I'm not going to all of a sudden say he's a terrific player, but I, I think that they probably had to be somewhat happy with what, what Emmanuel Pomo gave him last night again. Yes. 10 minutes. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't play outside of himself. 10 minutes made the only shot. He took two offensive boards, three boards, two blocks, didn't turn it over. Yes. He committed four fouls, but they want him to, I mean, they don't want him to foul out of the game, but he was physical. I, I think if, if they kept him in with the fourth foul too, they kept him in. Yeah. I mean, we'd have to think that eventually, especially against Tulane, with the the rate that they score at, you're probably going to see, you know, eventually Dame comes up back into the starting lineup, and it's. But well, it'll be interesting to see what they do. But I think I I think that it's getting more and more apparent until they get Jamil Reynolds back that they're having a little bit more faith in, in Okpomo in that. Like we need a physical presence in there because Core just isn't isn't getting it done. I think he was like a minus eleven last night, twelve minutes. I mean, he did give you four boards and a steal, but I mean, he's just he looks lost. Yes. Yeah. If there's one team that does have size, it's it's coming up. Kevin Cross is a big boy, in the Nebraska transfer for Tulane. Yeah, they'll be six eight two forty. I mean, they their 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 numbers are 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 pretty good when you look ahead to them. So. And when we're looking at Saturday's game, yeah, they're nine and five. They've been up and down. They've won their last two games. They put up 96 against Memphis, an 11 and four Memphis team. 93 77 went over Tulsa yesterday. They also lost by 11 to Cincy. They're the top scoring team in the league. And then they're they're the second worst defensive team in the league. And Jalen Forbes is playing well. Cyan James is playing well. And, and Kevin Cross, as Kyle mentioned, 6'8, 240. 14.4 points, 5.9 rebounds, 3.6 assists per game. Um, I don't know. How do we see Saturday shaping up? Again, they're a weird – I don't want to say they're a weird team, but they're, they've are they been wildly inconsistent too. Who have they played? Exactly. Nobody. Like, they're, like, it's the same thing. It's like I don't understand what these teams are doing with their non-conference schedule. Mm-hmm. They have the 311th strength of schedule mm-hmm. in the nation. Like, that's like bottom 40 in the nation. Mm-hmm. I, I You're beating up on teams that – I couldn't tell you where half these schools are. Like the fact that there's names in these schools is the reason I could tell you where they are. But some of them, like, no idea. They're just playing bad teams. Uh, I know nothing about them because of that. Like, I know, like, I know that they are a high scoring team. I know that they put up 96 points against a Memphis team. I know Kevin Cross is good. I don't know what they're actually capable of yet. I know, this where, is, most, I know where most of these schools are. <laughs> the second one was my uh, was my option. I right should, now. Where is where's McNeese? Off the top of your head, Texas, Tennessee, Tennessee, yeah, Tennessee, yeah. Even BC, I know because yeah, they they oh, beat yeah. Virginia, and you know it says Baltimore they gained County, what, like they... twenty thousand Twitter followers or something, and even more than that, right? Yeah, because they chose violence uh, every day. 
but yeah, like these schools are just like they lost by uh six to Western Kentucky. They lost by nine to Nevada. Like they lost to Fordham. I don't think Fordham who lost their coach to Nova. Like Kyle Neptune is not there. Fordham is mm-hmm. still 12 and three because he's yeah. recruited well, but like I just don't think they've played anybody of true merit yet. Like in Tulsa is bad. Like they're they're they they played well against Memphis, but the fact that they beat Tulsa does nothing for me because Tulsa might be the worst team mm-hmm. in the conference. Yeah. So this is the biggest barometer of both teams conference hopes i think yeah and i mean at the same time they do have you know jalen forbes james and cross are a nice you know trio for them mm-hmm. you know um do we sure. think it's saturday that the dame's in the starting lineup by them i think so i think i think they're doing what the sixers did with tyrese maxi until it didn't play against the pacers i think like you were injured granted he wasn't injured for nearly as long as tyrese maxi was but like you just get their feet back wet by coming them off the bench for 25 minutes a game. And then eventually, like for all extent and purposes, Damian Dunn is a senior. Like I know he's actually not, I know he's a redshirt sophomore, but like it's an academic almost, senior. Academic senior. This is almost certainly his last year at Temple. He's earned the right to be back in that starting lineup. Let's look at a couple of mailbag questions here before we shift over to football. Again, these are from our subscribers from the basketball. Message board. First one is the screen name is SoCal Al. Do you think Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn are trying too much to make a favorable impression for the next level? Uh, he's got a couple. He has three questions here. We'll start with that one. Do you think Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn are trying too much to make a favorable impression for the next level? Yes, but I'm not going to make it seem like a bad thing. That's just the 18 to 22 year old mind. You're, you're zealous. You've got a chance to make at least eight hundred thousand dollars. At some point in your life, if you play good this year, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna go out there and show out. Hell, Jordan Poole's in the NBA and he still plays like that. He sees a fine looking woman in the front row and he <laughs> goes crazy, turns it over four or five times. But like, <laughs> it's, it's just it's just how basketball players operate. So I'm not going to kill them for it. I I think the way they do it is differently though. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's easy to pinpoint like done like that last possession like what was he trying to do there like he's clearly just trying to draw a foul and I think he has a habit of like relying on that too much like I'm I'm just gonna drive the lane there I'm gonna get a foul I'm gonna get yeah. my two points there I think KB plays hero ball a lot like that's his game right like and when it's working it's working great like there's been nobody in my 13 years 14 years of covering Temple Athletics that it's like obvious whether or not the three is gonna go in more than him like you can tell the second he shoots it like if he's shooting it with confidence and he has his little wrist like like that's going in so like when it's working well it's working great but then there's times when he goes two for 14 so i think they're both like trying to showcase for the nba because of course they are like everyone's goal is to play in the nba that's a division one basketball player but i think they're doing it slightly different two for 14 might be a bit of a stretch it's called hyperbole (laughs) <laughs> it's a, you make a point and you just emphasize it one way or the other to drive home that point. Yeah, but I mean, he hasn't been as inefficient as we think, even though that 42% doesn't look too good to me, but it's more so of a, like... He went, he went four for 17 against Ole Miss. Yeah, like there's one or two games that's really bad, yeah. and then the rest are like, oh, no, it wasn't a bad game. Sure. Um, like I, I can live with it. Oh, this sounds terrible. I can live with him going four for 11. Like, yeah. KB... Shooting 36%, if he's also hitting two threes, I can live I'll take that every single game. It's just the four for 17, six for 17, like, or like two for 11 from three. Like, that's not helping. Yeah. Like, his thing is just, and I was talking to Caden about it uh, Sunday. Like, he, he's just a, a bucket getter, right? Um, 
the, I think the difference between him and Dunn is Dame, Dame can get his buckets within the system. That's just not KB. He He's the guy who's just going to come up to the wing or the top of the key and say, hey, give me the ball and let me do my thing. I might call for a ball screen. Depending on who's the road man, I might give it to them. But for the most part, I'm going ISO and getting my baskets. Yeah. Uh, at, at some point this year, he tried to force feed core in those pick and rolls. It has gotten to the point where he would rather contest, a, well, take a contested shot than dump it down to an open core young kitchen in the pick and roll. So there are uh, differences that Dane plays a little better defense and runs the offense at times. So like there's other yeah. reasons that you're willing to live with some of these tame moments. But here's what it is. I mean, for this, I don't mean this as offensively as it's going to sound, but KB might be the most frustrating Temple player in a decade. Because, like, when it's working well, it's you're an NBA talent. And when it's not working well, it's you might not deserve to have minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they had him out. He had, what, five turnovers last night? Had him out for a, I wouldn't say significant stretch in the second half, but you can tell. I mean, it's easy to tell body language on both ends, mm-hmm. on his end and on the coach's end when they're, when he's turning the ball over and he's, forcing things you can tell when the coaches get frustrated with them but then he hits a slew of shots and they're like yeah they need them you know yeah. and that's obvious for anybody anybody to see um anybody else are we going to call are, are we calling kb the the david ruffin slash bobby brown of temple basketball then john Ooh. that's uh it, it sounds like that's where you're going the problem is do they have a johnny gill or a dennis Edwards? Johnny you know gill. in the background <laughs> Caden's a huge Temptations fan, and uh, I mean, Caden just walks around campus singing my prerogative all the time, and the big Ghostbusters 2 guy, and you know, so he's, he, I know he's looking to weigh in here. My general rule of thumb is to not speak on Bobby Brown. It's usually, it's usually a rule that I take in life. Yeah, yeah. You know, they performed on New Year's Eve, and New Edition just has to realize, when it's time to um, do the song that you got to dance for, Bobby Brown doesn't need to be on stage. Uh, I was... <laughs> Someone else I know was saying that the, the same thing, just that they could not, they could not move. They looked arthritic. I didn't see, I didn't, I didn't watch any New Year's Eve coverage. I just watched, just watched Ohio State, Georgia straight through. Didn't care about the ball dropping. But yeah. I went to a fantastic idea. A place called Human Robot in Jenkintown had a thing called like a kid's New Year's where they dropped the ball at 6 p.m. It was fantastic. Wow. These little toddlers, instead of having like beans trying to stay up for New Year's, they had to lose their shit at 6 p.m. I was back home, kids in bed by 7.30. It was great. <laughs> it's great. Human robot in Jagantown. <laughs> Our first sponsor on the scoop. Um, what um, biggest disappointment, second second part of, uh, of SoCal Al's question here, the biggest disappointment for me is Zach Hicks. In your opinion, what is the biggest disappointment so far basketball-wise? I'll go for fun. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I'll I'll have to agree with uh, the question. I think it's Zach Hicks because I thought at this point, you know, as a sophomore, he'd be elevating himself to be one of the better players on this team. I thought he'd be a lot more efficient from three. I know we always talk, you know, shooters, you know, they go through streaky things and they have games where they perform and they have games where they don't. But besides maybe like one or two games this year, Zach Hicks hasn't really got going. He's not exactly a great defender, and he doesn't exactly put the ball always on the court and drive as well. I think he's really one-dimensional. And me and Javon talk about it. All he wants to do is stand around and shoot threes. And I think you know, the potential is, you know, is still there because he does have a good, you know, a good shot when he's on. But I haven't seen that development to the point where you think he's definitely going to be a guy that, you know, once Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn leaves, can he be the guy that you know, takes over and be one of, the, one of those top guys to you know, lead Temple to wins? And I'm not sure yet. Kyle, you go ahead. 
I've got. Uh, I was. Yeah, you can go ahead, John. I'm looking up something before I make my point. For me, for me, it's core. Um, I Zach Hicks can certainly play better. Um, but at least, and again, I know you don't you don't want his first and foremost job to be rebounding, but he does stay engaged in. He got him seven boards last night, and every single one of those boards mattered. Um, I would argue, and it might sound like a weak argument. Yes, there's no question that he needs to be able to put the ball on the floor better. And anybody can see that. I also think sometimes he's a victim of this team not running great offense. I do think that they've been moving the ball better over the past few games. He could certainly play better. The, the core is the biggest disappointment for me. Like they at least at the very least wanted him to affect the game in the way that they were hoping to depend upon, which is scoring some lobs, scoring some putbacks and be a rim protector. And he just, he hasn't done that. He hasn't given you much of anything. We don't, we don't want to misrepresent it and say, yeah, they brought him in expecting him to average a double double. But I think he's been a disappointment in a sense that he hasn't been able to deliver on what they delivered on. I still think Zach Hicks has some good basketball left ahead of him. Again, no question he can play better, but to me, core is a bigger disappointment. I feel like with Zach, it's when, when he puts the ball on the deck and he looks to do something other than shoot a jumper, Things actually go great for him. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, you'd hope that he picks up on that and starts doing more than jump shooting. Uh, yeah. For the sake of being different, I, I, I'll throw a different guy out here. I'll throw Jalil White. Where was all this? I, I see Kyle's face. Here's, here's my point on this one. All offseason, we just heard Jalil's shoulder is healthier mm-hmm. and he's working on his jump shot and it looks better and boom, boom, boom. He's a worse shooter this year than he was last year. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be the next step in his development, a jump shot. And, and we'd see him go, like, make a clutch three in the corner for it seems like each of the last 12 games of last season, mm-hmm. right? We're nowhere near the final 12 games of this season, but the jump shot is clearly worse this year than it was last year. It's hard for me to take you seriously when you're talking about shooting percentages when you're just like, it's because he started so poorly. Like the first like six games, he might've been the worst offensive player in the nation when it comes to scoring the last eight games, he's shooting 59% from two. Like that's not, that's not a jump shooting though. Sure. But that's, that's not a problem. Do baskets count differently when he gets them like with athleticism and transition? I will say for spacing purposes, because I've seen teams literally leave that man out there. Like he's Russell Westbrook. Like I would like him to be somewhat respectful, respectable jump shooting. Jaleel White is number nine on my things to worry about on this team. Oh no, no, you're right. Like I think he's (laughs) clearly one of the better players and better stories of the team this year. I'm just saying for the sake of offering a different perspective, I will say his jump shooting, not taking the leap that I thought it would, kind of disappointed me this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not sure if I've ever really bought into the, well, he's going to develop a shot. He's going to develop this three-point thing because, like, it's a tale as old as time. Nate Pierre-Louis comes in. Well, if he develops a three, he'll be good at this. If he develops a three, he's not playing a temple. Like, if, if Jaleel White had a, a jump shot that, you could see projecting to being above league average jump shot, then he's at Seton Hall, then he's somewhere else. Like it's the island of misfit toys. And college basketball is one sport where you can like live with those island of misfit toys that they're good at other things. Uh, I really completely agree with your point about Zach Hicks. I'm, someone needs to get it into his head that when he puts the ball on the floor, that might have been Kate. I don't know if that was Kate and Javon. Um, like good things, good things happen. 
right? Like he is shooting 23% from twos. What the hell? Like, how is that possible? A guy his size, when he can just like put the ball on the floor, he can work on his post moves. He can make things happen. They haven't happened. I also don't think to his credit, I don't think Temple does a good job of implementing a catch and shoot shooter into their offense. You saw it with Brendan Barry. No, we saw that with Brendan Barry. Yeah, yeah. you saw yeah, it with Brendan Barry. They don't, they don't know how to handle that in their offense. Like, that's not his fault. But him refusing to do anything with shoot threes at times is his fault. So I would say the vibes are my disappointment. I would say that there's a lot of things that like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong at times outside of like knock on wood, like more injuries. Yeah. Knock on wood. They haven't been that injured. Like Jamil Reynolds gets injured. Damian Dunn misses a game. Those things happen or two games, whatever it was, those things happen, but like they haven't had like the, the slew of injuries that they had last year when they were just leaking oil by the end. But I think for the most part, also I was just, I'll throw everything out there. The non-conference opponents outside of Rutgers have disappointed. Nobody's carried their weight. Like, I know it's easy to be like, okay, well, if Temple had just won these four games instead of losing these four games, they'd be in that large conversation. They have one, like Villanova's a quad three victory right now. Villanova mm-hmm. hasn't done anything. St. John's hasn't done anything. Like all these teams where you're like, okay, that could have been a resume builder. I, I, will, say I'm right banking, I will say I'm banking on St. John's to eventually be quad one. Nova, I can't bank on right now. You think St. John's is going to be quad one? At least quad two. Low tier quad yeah, one. Yeah, it, it, it could be quad, quad two. two. I mean, there was like their net right now is 107. In order for it to be quad one, it has to get in the top 50 because it was a neutral court. I don't see that happening. It could be yeah. quad two. Like they could easily slide in there. But like yeah. Nova, Nova's not, Nova was a home game. So it needs to be top 30 for it to be a quad one victory. It's not, they're not going to get to the top 30. No, yeah, Nova, listen, Kyle Neptune and John Shire, so far, it's first year, so you give them a pass, but they're not passing the test of replacing legendary coaches. I mean, the, the interesting thing to watch for Nova will be, and it's, it's, I'm sure I'm not the only one to speculate on this, but like like the other you know, the other night, Kyle benches Cam Whitmore and our buddy Jeff Nyberg. And he said Kyle to a podcast that has Kyle. Like, I didn't bench. I didn't bench him. Yeah, um, Kyle Neptune. Kyle Neptune. <laughs> Kyle Neptune, bench Cam Whitmore, and our friend Jeff Nyberg, who works for the Inquirer, asked him a question about that. And I think Kyle Neptune said, oh, I just didn't have opportunities to get him back into the game when he did. Again, I'm not covering Nova, but I wonder if, if Cam Whitmore is like, if he sees them being like a middling team and three weeks from now, Yes, they beat you know they beat Georgetown last night. They had to beat them because the Georgetown is on a twenty five so game bad. Big East which is, is which yeah, is a shame. I, I like Patrick Ewan. I respect. He's got to go. It's not working out there. But um, if if what if Cam Whitmore in three weeks is like yeah I'm done. I'm, I'm a I think I'm a, a future first round pick. This ain't working out. I'm just gonna sit out the rest of the season. If they do that, then yeah and. And we don't know what's going on with Justin Moore, right? He says he can practice or he can't. I think he, just, I think he started practicing. He started practicing. Right. Nobody's he's going to play. Right. So I agree. That's another interesting point. Like you, we looked at that non-conference schedule. Like if they do yeah. this, 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 and this, they'll I think, be in shape. I but, think even if those things had worked out well, where they avoided all like the grenades and they were just like, and they're sitting here and they're 14 and three or whatever they might be, or 13 and three. I think you would still be like, well, they're going to need to be a Memphis game, or they're going to need to beat Houston to be in that at-large conversation. Like, I don't think the red, I don't think the schedule has worked out the way they expected it to work. At least they'd be in the ninety-team conversation, though, right? Like, at least we're saying they guaranteed an NIT if that were the case. 
I'm not guaranteed because like, but, you know, yeah, if like start tonight, sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I think we get into this in the mailbag. I still think like if you find a way to 17, 18, 19 wins, you're probably still getting into the NIT just because of like the conference that you're in. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. That would require them going, what, 10 more conference wins to get to 19? What a beautiful That's 10 segue. and 5 the rest of the way. Beautiful segue into our next mailbag question, Kyle. Kyle Gauss, not Kyle Neptune. Uh, P. Furmai uh, as our next mailbag question. Hi, Al Scoop team. Happy New Year. Given the way this uh, this year has gone to date, what do you guys think is the most likely scenario for the coaching staff, barring a miracle run in conference play or conference tournament play to make the NCAs or the NIT? A, whole staff gets replaced, i.e. complete rebuild. B, Aaron is asked to upgrade his assistants, but he remains as head coach. C, full staff remains intact, or D, other? <laughs> Thanks for taking my question. Keep up the good work. Uh, the other intrigues me. So again, to review, barring a miracle, so let's, they, they don't get to the NCAA tournament. They don't get to the NIT. So they're like maybe like a 15, 16 win team. What happens here? A, whole staff gets replaced or complete rebuild. Aaron is asked to upgrade his assistance, but remains head coach. The full staff remains intact, or D, other? Oof. Well, if I'm Arthur, uh, ooh, I hate that this is my answer because Jimmy and Chris are great guys. Jimmy's a friend of the of the podcast. But if I'm Arthur and Aaron's got a year left on the deal and there's no guarantee you can bring in something better at the moment, I'm just looking at how other staffs around the country are built, especially that staff over there in Hawk Hill that's filled with guys who can get you Philly talent. I think that's the route to take. Like, Aaron, you got to get me some better recruiters as your assistants. If I'm Arthur, I think maybe that's the approach I take going into the fifth and final year. Is that uh, St. Joe's staff going to be around next year? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> it, 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 they've got some new faces, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like I look at that staff and I'm like, oh wow, no, I see these guys at damn near every Philly mm-hmm. hoops event. So at least there's some tapped in, plugged in guys, you know. And they have a kind of maybe a little bit overrated recruiting class that might buoy them a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, just because like you can be like, oh, Xavier Brown's coming in, let's give him a chance. I'm not the biggest fan of their recruiting class, but I could see why people are. Um if they I think there's a fork in the road. If they find their way, it's like they completely just like they get stomped over this month and they just go nine and nine in conference and all of a sudden they're 15 and 16 and they lose in the first round and blah, blah, blah. Then like I kind of agree with Javon that I think maybe it's like things might happen that progress uh, in a negative way. If they find their way, it's like if like you copy and paste it last year where it's 17 and 14, they really kind of have a hard time believing that they're going to that like changes would happen like that. I think there might be staff changes, but I would think that 17, 18 wins keeps Aaron for another year. And then they all of a sudden have to spend the next two months of their lives, bringing in like three guys via the transfer portal and hoping that they hit on them. Well, yeah. just the money for, uh, Caden, we're, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Uh, I kind of agree with, uh, you know, Kyle, where I think if they get to that 17 or 18, win point, point it'll be tough to fire Aaron McKee and I think it's always a bad idea to hire a former coach who's a legend player at your school as well because I think it makes it a little more shady to do maybe not in a sense but I think because of those relationships it may make it a little tougher 
But I do think if it gets to 13, 14, maybe 15 wins, if they really go on a bad stretch, I think Aaron McKee, you know, would have to go if, you know, that scenario played out because you were expected to be, or at least Damian Dunn would say a tournament or bus team. Right. 15 wins is not acceptable. And then you look next year, there's no guarantees that this roster is going to be any better. We don't know how good these young guys are going to continue to develop. And do you really want to keep a coach around here with his best roster in the last four yeah. years? How is he going to get any better beyond this year? I mean, that would be my question if I was Arthur Johnson. Okay. Only- I'm, glad you, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I put that in my midseason story for the Enquirer last week. I think that's what has Temple fans like up in flames right now. It's the fact that almost every soul in that locker room in August, September, and October were labeling the team as tournament or bust. So you had these expectations for yourselves. We kept hearing no ex- no excuses. If you don't make the tournament, it's a failed season. They're aiming for a conference championship and all that. And this is where they're at now. Like, I think Temple basketball talked itself into a hole more than anything it has done this season. Like, had the guys just had a normal, I don't know, off-season of media availabilities where they're just talking ball and not feeling themselves, maybe people react to the team a little different. I don't know. To I be love fair. the confidence. You're supposed to have that confidence. But I think that's what causes most of the reaction we see on social media these days well, to be fair when people ask them like again it was a good question J- javon you asked him is it tournament boss this year and dame's like yeah i mean what is he he's not gonna say nah because if he says that then he gets eviscerated for saying that like aaron was asked is this the roster that you envisioned having when you got here he's like yeah if he says no then people are like wow you're just trying to kick the can down the road another year how much time do you think you have here i do agree that they maybe could have taken the opinion like the angle of like yeah we want to we want to get to the tournament this year but we haven't won anything yet we still have a lot to prove i'm not saying that they were overly confident but yeah that the season's been a disappointment so far no no question i don't know i think yeah, and i'm not saying they were supposed to say no to those questions yeah but like you know, we we asked those questions because it seemed like that's where they were trending with yeah. the responses they were giving. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's the fourth year. It's time for them to get to the tournament or make some sort of just missing out on the tournament, getting to the bubble. I I I don't know. I mean, and again, just to recap for everybody, we've we've said. I mean, just to drive this point home, Aaron's in the fourth year of a fifth year contract. There is no. Uh, we can't imagine a situation where like they have to make a decision either way at the end of this year, you have to either extend them by a few years. You can't send him into the, his fifth and final year. You could, but they wouldn't be able to recruit. So you're probably expecting something at the end of the year, either way, do you extend them by a few years or do they uh, ask him to make some staff changes? And again, we take no joy in on this podcast and anybody losing their jobs or do they just kind of mutually agree to, to part ways? I think a lot of that remains to be seen if they, Obviously, beating Memphis, splitting with Memphis, splitting with Houston could make some believers out of people. And then maybe if you get to the end of the year and you maybe just miss out on the tournament. But Aaron says, look, my guy started to galvanize toward the end of the year. Imagine what we could have done with Jamil Reynolds. Maybe, but I don't know. I uh, 
I was trying to come up with something crafty for D other, but is hiring a former star ever work out? No. Chris Mullen, it worked out a little bit with St. John's, um, right? And he that... had to resign. I mean, they made the tournament and then he resigned, right? Because he had like a family issue. But like, at least like he had built them to like they they made the tournament. Okay. Uh, Other than that, like Patrick Ewing's not working. Jerry Stackhouse is not working. Stackhouse didn't go to Vanderbilt though. No, he didn't go to Vandy. Okay, cool. Um, Corliss Williamson went to wherever uh, Central Arkansas. I think he got fired. But yeah, like I, I can't think of any that really work. Like Chris Mullen might be the biggest like recent one that worked, and they made the tournament one year. I wonder what I mean. I'm trying to think. I feel like we're we're, Juwan Howard. I guess you have to say has worked. Oh, I think I'm. Oh, I think I'm missing a pretty obvious one. Didn't Roy Williams play Carolina? No. Yes. Wait. Yes. Yeah. Well. Well. Um. Well, he. You know what? He played on the freshman team under Dean Smith, so he wasn't a legend. We can't call him a playing legend. But he did go to he did, he went to North Carolina and was obviously a good coach there. Whether he was he wasn't. No, nah, yeah, player, player. I think playing legends, player yeah, legends. Yeah, is yeah, the one. yeah, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. yeah I don't who's know. the obvious? Who's the obvious one? You think? Yeah, I, I, I googled it. I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll see what Shaheen Holloway does at Seton yeah. Hall. Does he count as a Seton Hall legend? I mean, he was. Uh, I mean. I mean, for the wrong reasons for Temple fans. Yeah, for the wrong reason. Well, yeah, he got, stayed healthy. <laughs> he stayed healthy. Ty Shine probably doesn't play as many minutes, and then maybe Cheney goes to a Final Four that year. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this has really been this kind uh, of. I'm miss, uh, missing. Yeah, my obvious one is the bane of my existence. Bayheim played at Syracuse. Yeah. Was he a playing legend at Syracuse? Like, was um, he a damn good player? I mean, he played in the league that, like, uh, Cheney played in um, the EPBL. I think like he played pro, so mm-hmm. I assume he had a good college career. Mm-hmm. He was the varsity team captain, teammate of David, you know, whatever. I mean, he walked on, so he's probably not playing legend, but he played there at least. Let's 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 jump to this last basketball mailbag question because we still got some football to discuss. JHG seven twenty two's question, an interesting one. Is this the most Jekyll and Hyde Temple basketball team in recent memory? There's some overlapping themes in here. I got one right off the bat. The 2016 Temple basketball team that started off the season like beating um, West Virginia and they beat mm-hmm. what A&M. Like they had like back-to-back like top 25 wins. They win whatever it was, the Empire Classic, whatever thing they played in it, and they finished like 16-16. Yeah. Like they beat like some really good teams. That was when Shiz Olsen was like a sophomore and he was finally starting to start. And then they were just like nowhere close to it, the conversation like a month later. Mm-hmm. That was when people like five games in, people were like Obi Anechionia is a first round pick because like he was developing these post moves. He was averaging 22 and like 10, and then he fell apart. But they're probably not as Jekyll as Heidi as this team. All that being said, other than Rutgers, which you played when they didn't have their two guards, I don't think history has been kind to Temple's schedule to the point that you're like, oh, well, they had these really good wins and they beat these really good teams. They beat teams that ended up not being as good as they you thought they were at the time. They might have yeah, just always been Hyde. Yeah, hurt and not as good as you thought. Might have yeah. always been Hyde. You know who also was not as good as people on the pod thought? Yeah. Ole Miss. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Vanderbilt. I, I, Vanderbilt 
I don't I don't think you were as high on Vanderbilt as you were Ole Miss. I remember me questioning you a, a bit about I, Ole Miss. My whole thing with Ole Miss was just that it would have been like a a sign that they were on the right path because it's such a weird game. Like a December SEC away game is like a game that like a good team just like finds a way to win because like you just beat the team in front of you. And like a team that might be a bit of a fraud doesn't win that game. And then they didn't win that game. I mean, I, this is probably not the best example because, again, it, it may violate a couple of different rules here. If, if JG is saying in recent memory, I don't know, like if this is going back too far. I mean, I could the, the 01 team that went to the Elite Eight. We've talked about this a million times before. If you're my age or around my age, you remember that had that team not won the A10 tournament, they don't go to the NCAA tournament. I don't know that they were. Super Jekyll and Heidish. They were fourth. They they were 12 and four in the A10 that year. They were 24 and 13 overall. But they were, you know, they had some moments where you're like, woof, they do not have a lot of depth. And, you know, John Cheney won plenty of games in his career without a without a team that went like 9, 10, 11 deep. You know, he would cer- certainly tighten up his rotation. But I don't know if they qualify as certainly like Jekyll and Hyde, but I don't know that people expected them to turn it on. Like they did, we've mentioned a million times. Lynn Greer draws a foul. They beat GW. They beat Bruiser's UMass team, and then boom, they're off and running. And they were hot at the right time. But like, I don't think anybody was expecting like if you had oh Greg Jefferson is going to have a great game against Penn State. Uh, if you had that on your bingo card, I mean they were they were a weird team. They had now they had talent. Quincy Wadley was good, but they didn't have much of a bench at all. I don't know how Jekyll and Heidi they are. I think Kyle's. Example is probably better. Look, one. I, I just think you could look at pretty much any temple, any good temple basketball team over the last 10 years has had its hide moments. Sure. Like, don't be lost to Canisius during Khalif Wyatt's last year. Like, I know where Canisius is. But I had to Google it like at the time. Uh, like, they lost New Hampshire in like 2016. Like, they always just have like a couple like clunkers that you're like, holy crap. Even Duffy's first year, they needed a buzzer beater from Chris Clark to beat a bad Ohio team. Like, there's always just like, wow. Temple plays down to its competition a lot. I know this sounds kind of trite, but I mean, sometimes the very very definition of fun college hoops as a team yeah. is like very up and down, very enigmatic, and then they just catch fire in, in March. And before you know it, they're a great story in the tournament. I'm not ensuring that for Temple by any means, but I mean, it's usually like the Gonzagas of the world and the truly elite teams that are like, Super, 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 super consistent. Like that 04, much as people don't want to hear it, like that, that, that 04 St. Joe's team that went undefeated in the regular season. They're just a consistent night in, night out. Uh, but yeah, they've definitely been Jekyll and Hyde-ish. And then we're gonna have another storyline when they when Jamil Reynolds comes back, regardless of where they mm. stand, win and loss wise, like how do they reacclimate him into the lineup? The simple answer is throw him the ball in the post because he's good, but you know, um, yeah. You know what? I gotta I gotta add something to that though. Mm-hmm. It ain't as simple as just throw him the ball in the post. I know, that's but when my, their offense gets stale. Like right. when they do that four out one in where nobody moves and right. they just try to force feed him down there. It, it, it's it's bad business. I was well, like, I agree. I'm just saying right now they don't even have the option of anybody. Sure. That that yeah. over the course of 40 minutes, there are stretches where Temple basketball like offensively looks terrible. And this at least gives them the option of like who can bail us out during this instead of it just being KB having to play hero ball. Like this gives you another option. of like, well, I mean, let's see if Jamil can maybe get us six points in the next six possessions. Like mm-hmm. it gives yeah. them another dart to throw at the board. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's knock out some football stuff here before 
uh, we close out this week's episode. So um, Kyle was able to break some news, yeah. break some football news. Uh, Temple looks to be zeroing in on its new running backs coach, right, Kyle? Yeah, we're breaking. Uh, we got scoops on the scoop. Um, so it, Sam Dorsett, the running backs coach at Mon- Monmouth, who's been there forever. He's been there for like 10 years, has had three FCS All-Americans. Um, has had Jerry Rice Award finalist, has had Walter Payton Award finalist. He just took a sophomore running back and made him the CAA Offensive Player of the Year in their first year in the CAA. From everything we're hearing, it appears that he is going to be Temple's next running backs coach. Um, I think that's just like still going through the process of, for those that don't know, Temple, the university, uh, shuts down like administratively for two weeks or for a week and a half after Christmas, whatever it might be. So a lot of times these like off-season um, hires and HR stuff kind of take a while. But my impression is that he is going to be the running backs coach. He played at Robert Morris. He's originally from Florida. Um, I don't know that much about him as a recruiter, 100% honest. But as just like a running backs coach, he has 15 years of success in that position. So, yeah, which I mean, to be fair, like running backs are just like, it's not always the running backs fault, right? It's not always it's the same thing. I think it's not always the running backs coach's fault, but I think the fact that Stan Drayton made a move at running backs uh, coach right away, not retaining Preston Steve after one, Preston Steve, not retaining Jeez. Preston Brown after one year is as a former running backs coach himself is probably pretty telling the fact that he was just like, look, this isn't working out. And we just, so, can we just dwell for just a brief second? I already corrected Preston, it. <laughs> Preston and Steve instead of Preston. Oh. Look, they are a juggernaut in the Delaware Valley. Okay. They, they work their way in. Ratings Kings. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that I, I put up an article on our site. Uh, like I said, we broke that. So if you want to go read a little bit more about them, but uh, if you're kind of like a next, uh, not conspiracy theorist, but if you're kind of maybe read the tea leaves, I do wonder if they'd be interested in Monmouth's running back, if it enters the port, if he enters the portal. Um, so really curious. Monmouth university, an interesting place in the world. So I go, I drive by it a relatively fair amount because like I've been going to like Asbury Park and like um, that area just because it's like the closest short point for me because I can just set my car east. I'm there in like an hour. Usually I'm like a South Jersey guy, but now that we're up in Monco, it's a little bit more of like a North Central Jersey. But it's an interesting area. You see a lot of Kushner money. A lot of Jared Kushner's dad companies out, out that way. You guys are LBI, an LBI fam, right? Tip, I'm, I'm a Margate guy, okay? I am, I am a Margate person through and through we stayed for your for your bachelor party i've been going to margate for 30 years uh meg's uncle lives on lbis year round so she was an lbi guy girl growing up so excited about uh lucy the elephant and and her new clothes i love lucy been inside her a couple times you can just pay like three bucks you go inside the elephant her her window is out her butt she literally just has like a window right where her butthole is supposed to be (laughs) lucy (laughs) the elephant I'm laughing because it also took too long to let's make this a short a short thing. It took too long for people to realize, like, oh yeah, you could just put like a sports bar in Margate and it'll print money. Because like mm-hmm. they used to just not be like bars there and they're like, oh yeah, there's all this beachfront. We can just put a bar there with open windows and people enjoy being near the beach. You can stare at Lucy. People get married in front of her now. Yep. Love Lucy. Anyway. I love Lucy. <laughs> um another bit of uh other bit of Temple football news um, is uh, Kamar Wilcoxon, the the Florida transfer, um, is officially 
and Al now they they announced that made that official. So uh, another potential, you know, a big addition for them. A guy that look, I mean, most guys end up at Florida and the SEC were highly recruited at one point, but um, some good size for them there at safety, 6'1", 195 pounds. Uh, you know, a guy that was that was mentioned talked about they didn't have that officially lined up uh, by signing day, but they announced them now. Uh, I know it's a simple question, but what does this mean for that class, just add, officially adding him to that class in that defensive backfield. Yeah, they, they need somebody to replace Jalen Ware. So, well, I think that's, I think that's going to be the other one we're waiting on. Taiwan Francis from Colorado State is probably your Jalen Ware replacement, just because like he has the experience. I think Wilcoxon is just you need more talent in this roster. Yeah, and like he's relatively young. He has multiple years of eligibility left. Anywhere they can improve this roster, I think they are trying to improve this roster. And as of now, I know sometimes interviews can fall through. Uh, Javon set to talk to him pretty soon. So stay tuned to the site uh, for a story about him, uh, hopefully. Um, and again, we uh, another bit of recruiting news, Dewan Black, uh, another Florida transfer is on an official visit, I think right now as we speak. Uh, yeah, I think, he, I think he's literally at the link or it just left the link. So that's another guy. He was a four-star guy coming out of JUCO, four-star guy coming out of high school. I think was actually dismissed from the Florida team in November. Um, mm-hmm. with a couple weeks left. Mm-hmm. But another thing where I think he's he's an older guy. I believe he only has one or two years left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's another spot. He's more of a linebacker. He, he was coming out of Juco, he was a safety, but he's more of like a, a linebacker at the collegiate level. So mm-hmm. another thing where I think they're just trying to I think they've they have the thing they have going for them in the transport portal is I John, I think you talked to DJ Elliott about this was now you have like a year of film to be like, this is how our defense looks. Like it's fun to play in. We're aggressive. We're we're gonna try to get you to the quarterback, like all that. So I think that helps them a bit when it comes to guys that might end up being more like pass rushing linebackers, like like black. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get to a couple of uh again. I mean, it's well, before I say that, I mean it's more proof that you know Stan Drayton was saying, Yeah, obviously we're not done. Yes, there's the, the February signing day, but they're gonna look to continue to, to tinker with this roster. So stay tuned. Um, there will be more roster development. It's got a couple of um a couple of uh, actually just one football mailbag question to to close things out here. This is more um, off topic, sort of off topic question from North Broad. Okay. Fantasy football finals. Team A is ahead by 19 points in a PPR league. Everyone on their roster is finished for the week. Uh, Team B has Jamar Chase with the game suspended and likely canceled altogether. What are we doing here? Um, Now, obviously we want to, acknowledge that this is all because of you know the Demar Hamlin injury and learning about some encouraging signs and of course we really really hope he continues to to improve here um in regards to North Broad's question I'm out of the playoffs in both of my leagues I'm a I'm a commissioner I'm one league I think we let I forget what the solution we came up with was it was like going back to last week's point totals I don't know so I am in the polar opposite scenarios in my two leagues. That I made the championship one. I had a 97% chance of winning. I had Burrow and Knox still going. He had Boyd and Diggs maybe, but I was up a significant amount. I had a 97% chance of winning. And the air league, I had a 99% chance of losing. And I, I think it's going to be no surprise to anybody listening to this, that I just chose the side that helped me for both leagues <laughs> the league that i was projected to lose i was like we should be splitting this we should be co-champions you never know my guys could have could have gone off 
the league that I'm projected to win, there still hasn't been a decision made, but I think it's going to end up being the guy concedes to me just because I was going to win and I'm up. I think the official fantasy football ruling is it's just official. Like that game is over. The stats so, are what they are, right? Yeah, the stats are what they are. Like the one uh, app I use, Flea Flicker, just said, like, look, in the event that they play this week 19 or something, then we'll address it now. But as of right now, we're considering a final. So mm-hmm. I think it's that. I think it's if it's close and it literally was a coin flip, I hope that cooler heads prevail and people realize that let's just be co champions or at least split the money. But if it's just like obvious, uh, the fact that the guy that I'm 97% chance of winning is trying to convince me that we should split uh, due to a personal tra- to a tragedy of a football player. I think probably says more about him than anything else. I am the champion. Anyway, um, stay tuned for next week's episode. Again, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to keep you posted on um, any more developments with the, with the football roster. Uh, if, uh, if there are any more verbal commitments again, um, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, Javon will catch up soon with uh, Kamara Wilcox and we'll just have on the to side. have something that the reason that recruits are allowed to visit right now during the dead period is if you are a transfer you are allowed to come like this weekend. It yeah. was from Wednesday through Sunday is a open period for transfers. High school kids still can't visit. They can't go visit high school kids. That mm-hmm. will end on Sunday and then we'll be a dead period for another mm-hmm. week or two. Yeah. So, uh, and then obviously by this point next week, we'll have more Temple basketball to discuss uh, the Tulane game. Uh whatever happens with this roster, the starting lineup, all sorts of interesting stuff to break down. So thanks for joining us for another episode. Hope you guys all had a happy, healthy, and safe holiday season. And we'll talk to you soon.